0: back to the accelerators
1: podcast we are radiation oncologists doctors matt spraker Simil parikh and anna Lausius, and we're bringing you oncology news and views with guests from all over the field note the discussions on this show are not medical advice and they represent our own opinions and not those of our employers and now on with the show
0: Welcome to this episode of the Accelerators Podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Simul Parikh. I'm medical director at Lake Huron Medical Center. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the first year out. We have four great um, docs who have been practicing for about a year, and we thought it'd be a great time to review the year and see what they would tell themselves a year ago and what kind of note they would leave to themselves uh, before they started practice. And so I'll introduce my uh, co-host, Anna Lachis.
2: Great. Um, Thanks. Yeah, one of the co-hosts of the Accelerators and um, also a guest on the show as I'm just over a year out and excited for the discussion.
0: Hey
3: everyone, uh this is Neil Perik. I um was a, a radiation oncologist in San Antonio in the first year out from practice where I met a couple of the other uh guests that you will hear from today. Um, and just recently I have joined um a, a venture capital fund investing in in healthcare um, recently about a month ago. So, um we'll share my experiences over the last year kind of as as an attending one year out, but um happy to you know, talk about those experiences as well.
4: Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. Big fan of the show. Um, I'm Neil Newman. I'm a uh, assistant professor at uh, UT uh, Health Sciences Center, San Antonio. Um, and I'm um, excited to, uh, to share um, all of the uh, lessons and ongoing wisdom I've been trying to gain over these uh, uh, interesting um, and fun uh, past 15 months.
1: And hey, I'm uh, Avinash Tarassia, also known as the Third Neil, and um, I'm a, a radiation oncologist at Brook Army Medical Center here in San Antonio, the military hospital. Um, and yeah, just excited to share experiences. I think we all have slightly different backgrounds and experiences that'll help for any uh, graduating PGY-5s.
0: Yeah, uh, and, uh, Avinash was referring to a little joke that I'd made a while ago about uh, the preponderance of Indian Male Neils in our field. I feel like we've met so many. Uh, we got we got Neil Parikh here. Neil Newman's not Indian, but there's plenty of other ones. And then jokingly, Avinash was Neil, and I was uh, I was Neil for some short period of time on Twitter as well. Um, so yeah, this is this is great because I, I really felt like I learned the most in that first year, and I wish I could look I, I could have known all that when i graduated so i think this is a little gift to our graduating seniors this year so um let's start with uh, neil paree uh, what would you have told yourself after graduation before getting ready for your first year out
3: yeah you know i think i think when you uh get that that diploma and you're you're officially attending you You feel this weight on your shoulders, like you're supposed to know sort of everything. and every study and kind of um every treatment um decision should be like locked in. But in reality, kind of now looking back at a year out, I think the the key is just knowing where you're gonna find those answers, who you're gonna ask. and and I think, um, but what I found, uh, especially the first few months in, you know, during training, you end up meeting so many amazing, you know, mentors and, and colleagues that end up being your, your clinical network. And, and so I was super lucky because, you know, whenever I had, you know, I, I treated GU malignancies. So I was able to kind of, very easily reach out to Amara Kishan and and when I was treating non geomalignancies malignancies, had a bunch of other folks some on this podcast that you know were very easy to reach out to so i think the the you know most obvious point for me looking back is uh you know don't be so hard on yourself to know everything but just uh, uh feel comfortable knowing that you're going to know enough to find out the right answer through your network and through the various resources
0: that we have How about
2: you, Anna? Yes, I would definitely echo that. I think that um, you know, for me, like I think everyone, or at least what I had heard, is kind of the first six months at any new job is pretty much the transition period. And you know, for me, like definitely imposter syndrome is real. You know, kind of um, you know that feeling, that weight, like you need to know everything. But I think just yeah, for you know, being a generalist and and treating everything that was definitely you know daunting at first, just kind of seeing you know lots of different um, you know patients with different malignancies come through the door. But um, but then you know after a while, kind of that faded. And yeah, I think having a strong clinical network as well as you know having NCCN guidelines and and all the other resources kind of right at the um, right at the tip of the fingers there um, definitely helps. And and I think um, yeah, one of the things that I was most excited about kind of coming out of that imposter syndrome was really fi- defining my own kind of clinical style and practice with patients. And, um, and that's been, I think one of the most rewarding parts, uh, just really getting to, to run the show um, when the patient's in the room.
0: How about you? Abinesh?
1: Yeah. I mean, I obviously echo what um, Neil P and Anna were just talking about, <clears throat> you know, I really felt like it was PGY six where you're still on the steep learning curve. And um, I think in terms of, Timeline: What I'd say is definitely take as much time off before you start as you can, whether that's two, one month, two months, three months, however much you can get. Um, because once you start, you'll be busy, and then you know you'll really have enjoyed that time. Then the first, you know, four to six months, at least before January, do not worry about oral boards. Just worry about balancing, you know, developing your clinical practice and how to treat patients, and then the other side of integrating into whichever type of practice or setting that you're in, and um, focus on those. And then, you know, sort of January through May, you can kind of transition to focusing more and more on oral boards. But I think that the the easy thing is to just think like, oh, well, I passed these other three board exams. Let's just jump to stressing about the next one. But you don't want to do that and lose out on, um, you know, really honing that PGY six year, so to speak, because it's so critical to the fundamentals of your, you know, time is uh, future because you're going to, you know, you spend four or five years in residency, and then you're going to spend the next, you know, couple decades treating patients. So that PGY six year out is critical.
0: Yeah, I I, I I wholeheartedly agree. I I would say like looking back at my at the end of my first year, I think one of the one of the things that I uh, didn't focus on or think through was uh, managing referrals. Your referring partners, um, the differences for me it was it was a very stark difference between academic medicine where I was a resident, and then I entered the community, which was, you know, 40 miles from a major medical center. Um and a criticism I, that I was given that I heard through somebody else was Simil thinks he's still at the university. Um and I, I think like that sort of uh that sort of thinking like we 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 do know a lot and we we're happy to share what we learn. But at the same time, we we have to understand that we're dealing with people that have different experiences, egos. um, And, of course, they also want the patients. uh, They have the patient's best interests at heart as well. So it's just navigating that and communicating that effectively. Um, Neil uh, Newman,
4: (laughs) how about your thoughts? First of all, I would like to address your comment earlier. I always found my thought that I was an honorary Indian. Thank in <laughs> uh, you, though. You clarified that. And uh, I'm going to start with just a really quick anecdote that I feel is necessary now. The first patient I ever saw as a third year medical student, she immediately started speaking Gujarati to me because she looked <laughs> at me, she said, Your name is Neil. And she thought that. So I will always have that amazing uh, story. I can picture her so perfectly. But um, yeah, a lot of lessons learned over the last, uh, I guess, 15-ish months or so, or 14 months. Um, and uh, it's still, still working on it. And I think that um, the first, the, the best advice that I wish I could tell myself is that, um, you know, uh, you're so busy as a resident and, and many of us are do so much as residents. You know, you're you're studying, you're taking physics and bio and learning and uh, learning a lot of information and trying to do research and trying to do well with your attendings that you think that, hey, being an attending De facto must be easier because I'm not a PGY2. I 2 I know my stuff and, um, uh, and I'm going to be ready to kind of hit the ground running. But then um, I think new challenges arise and I wish that um, something I now have done for this upcoming year, I wish that I sat down and kind of made like a roadmap of what are my goals and what do I want to accomplish and, and what is kind of like an action plan because Otherwise, the, the storm, it starts off maybe slow as you're building up patients, but then the storm comes quickly. And then before you know it, you are seeing all these follow-up patients with recurrent disease, and then you're trying to do research, and then you're trying to teach the residents. Um, so I think kind of uh, planning, uh, planning your weeks to months, um, and to just framing whatever your goal is going to be, of, uh, hey, I want to do X with research, I want to do X with education, or I want to do x with uh, building up just uh my clinical practice um i think is uh i think is uh absolutely uh, critical because what i noticed was um you know by december january i was felt like i was taking on too much and i was trying to to excel in in uh, from the academic side all all three areas um and it became a little bit overwhelming so i think now i sort of have a little bit more of a roadmap, and i wish i took that on and then um Kind of Part two of my advice that the others uh, touched upon as well is um, you are, you're going to learn a lot, and especially if you go to a new institution, um, you're going to run into providers from other specialties that may, uh, you know, while ex surgeons where, where you train may have practice in, in a certain way, um, such as they always felt it was necessary to do neoadjuvant radiation for the line pancreas, you may be at a new institution where, where they don't feel as much. Um, and. I think that it's important to realize that you will have a long-term relationship with these folks and it's good to um keep teaching each other um and if you take it from an honest perspective i think it builds a great relationship so i I love all the teammates that i work with now as a result i have learned so much more about surgical oncology than i ever thought possible um and i've been able to um, also impart some lessons about what is SPRTable and What does a blade of hypofrag mean? And people really, really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's the great thing for practices and departments is when you get new blood, you know, new grads. uh, The best thing is to partner with them rather than think of it as a subordinate, you know, management type relationship. But the fact is, like, you get so much from from your younger partners. and I, I think like that's something I I always felt myself as a young person, but now I'm twelve years out, and now I learn from you guys so much. I do, you know, all 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 four of you, I've reached out for cases, and um, I think like that that's that's just the transition of your career, and so it's, it's it's just great when when you get these new docs that know so much. Um, how about some? uh discussion of some mistakes that you guys have made and that you would want to help uh fresh graduates avoid um and not clinical necessarily but just kind of in uh not not really a patient care related mistake but more of a communication error or uh something that happened with the staff or something like that uh,
3: i can i can start with that um and this sort of piggybacks off the the theme that uh, Neil Newman just brought up in terms of um, variation amongst different institutions and in terms of how things are done um you know I think as we graduate residency oftentimes within a given subsite you know we have like one or maybe one and a half to two ways of doing things and so when we kind of go to a center that is used to doing things in a different way um, I underappreciated the the amount of change required for the therapists, for the dosimetrists, for um, for the nursing, kind of everyone else involved. And so, I think when when I first kind of took my job, um, you know, part of what I was hoping to do is build, you know, a robust SBRT program in a place that um, that hadn't been doing a ton of SBRT before, um, and. Instead of you know um, kind of uh, rolling that change out over over a period of of, of a couple of months, I think I got a little bit too eager in kind of making you know ten changes all at the same time, and I didn't really appreciate kind of the the impact that that could have and kind of the fatigue that that might cause on on staff. You know we're. We're like super energetic and super passionate about making changes and kind of conquering the world. And and we're we're doing it with patient care in mind. Um, but our our staff also have, you know, patient care in mind, but they're just a little bit more um rooted in in other ways of doing things. And it's not that one is right or, or wrong, but I think um, you know, that that lesson came uh pretty, pretty clear to me. And and I also think that once you have spent um several months a year kind of with with the a a crew of people with your therapist your dosimetrist. you build the credibility that that you know you often need to kind of make those changes so in the latter half of the year you know we would make so many changes all the time and they were seamless because everyone kind of trusted me and everything was perfect but in the beginning i think um convincing kind of the other folks on my team that we should try out this new thing was a little bit harder than I'd anticipated previously.
0: Yeah, that's, I think uh, I yeah, go, Sorry, go ahead. Go no, I, I think, um, I would say I, I had a similar experience my first, first couple of years out. This is 2010 when, you know, Whelan was published in 2009 where a large breast cancer practice and all of a sudden I'm recommending half the treatments that my partners are, um, which is it, it was foreign to them for one and it definitely had an effect on the bottom line um and it set us apart and it, we didn't know whether it would set us apart in a good way or a bad way compared to other people in the community and so these these kind of implications i think that you're board you know board eligible or board certified and you know what you're doing but these discussions are important as a team, and there's going to be times when you have that discussion and you get an answer that you don't really like, and it's frustrating. But as being part of a group, um, it it makes sense to to be thoughtful about these types of changes. It's a big deal. Like we we know we know five fractions for us, it's fine. We know it, but if you've done forty two fractions for twenty years and your patients have done amazing and yeah um they don't need a spacer or they don't need this or that uh it's hard for someone in my chair or someone even old, you know more experienced than me to make that shift so quickly um and it also affects your bottom line and so you know th- these are these are tricky these are tricky things sorry i what were you saying
1: yeah no i was gonna echo very similar thoughts that you know i think you you have to really focus on kind of those, what is it, the three A's, like affability, availability, ability. And especially I think the first two, like affability and availability, I think are like very critical. And I think, um, I think naturally, you know, learning your clinical skill will come with time um, and, and, you know, doing that judiciously. But I think the other parts that like Neil P probably learned in business school and can give us all some pointers, but, you know, things we probably never learn enough of in medicine is how to like start. And it's like, you know, the first year, you got to really, build your trust and respect and other people have to be able to build their trust and respect in you. And so, you know, for example, if you have the first month where you're just kind of waiting on credentialing or insurance to approve you or things like that, you know, go around the hospital and introduce yourself to the radiologist, the medical oncologist, even if the tumor boards are all virtual, see if you can uh, meet people in person, you know, drop your, your business card, your uh, phone number, give it to every nurse front desk person, consultant, anyone possible. Even if you think they may never refer you a patient, you'd be surprised how many people, uh, you know, how much that'll help because, you know, over time you might find that, oh, you're the go-to person that people come to for certain referrals or certain things. And because people know that you're available, they're going to come to you. And then that's going to help, well, you know, whether you're in private or academic practice, that's going to help you because if you're known as the person who decreases barriers for patients, everyone's going to want to come to you. Um, and that's going to help you and your department. <clears throat> and so don't you know, obviously like work hard, play hard, don't stay around at work forever and do those kinds of things. But if you have downtime at work, try to use it strategically because not everything has to be patient care. You know, you can also build a practice in different ways and be open to, um, you know, I found another thing is to uh, not take for granted your network of like young, especially if you're at a bigger place or if you have other young people that are new grads or recent grads at your place, just, you know, build a network with them. They're gonna have the best advice for you, ask about things that they did because every practice setting is different. And then just do what they tell you to do and just trust in it because they've been there longer than you. Um, and a lot of times I think we come in thinking that, oh, we know we know the latest and greatest and so we know the best thing to do, maybe a millennial thing too. <laughs> but, you know, be open to the fact that the person with 10 or 20 years of experience um, you know, may have some good reasons for doing what they're doing. And like Neil P. was saying, it may be because dosimetry therapy physics, it's easier for them to work with that. And at the end of the day, it may be better for a patient safety issue or for a workflow issue, even though you think that, you know, pre-op sarcoma is better than post-op sarcoma, or if you think that, you know, uh, a certain indication for radiation is or isn't necessary, you know, make sure it fits within your institution because that can come back to bite you over time. Anna.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would echo a lot of that. I would say that I probably was a little bit slow at, um, you know, going out and kind of networking, you know, with the other providers, but uh, the more that I, you know, kind of earlier on, but then I'd say later on, the more I frequented like the um, physician lounge, you know, it led to some interesting conversations, you know, especially with um, surgical colleagues and, um, and that was great, you know, kind of expanded even beyond just patient care issues um, so yeah I think that's really important you know especially being in community practice uh, where you know referrals um, you know are are really kind of the bread and butter um, and then um, yeah I think uh, also just you know not being afraid to uh, yeah to like ask um, colleagues for help and and really to rely on the expertise of um, our um, support staff as well. So uh, like we have excellent dietitians and they really taught me a lot about, you know, how they assess uh, patients and kind of their nutritional needs. Um, So I think just, you know, seeing kind of every um, team member is really a a great learning um, opportunity, a great, you know, opportunity for relationship building as well.
0: Does anybody have any uh, stories about wins, a big win that you had or something that you thought may not go well that ended up going good. Uh, because I think there's times, uh, in early practice where you're like, what the fuck did I get into? You know, like, and, you know, is this the right job for me? Is this the right situation for me? Um, and then, you know, then you have that great day or that great experience that kind of, kind of makes you think, okay, I made a good decision here, or this is going to help me progress in um, my career or help me choose another path. if I'd like to.
2: Yeah, I actually have a, a great one, and then I'll let uh, Neil Newman jump in. I think you're going to as well. Um, but yeah, actually, um, there was a, a really good win in terms of um, patient care that uh, that I was really you know excited about. Um, where really the patient kind of took you know exceptional um, care of her skin, but it was a patient with a um, you know kind of essentially half of her nose uh, missing, so like a partial rhinectomy. Um, who had had a positive margin. And I was kind of worried because I had to treat to, you know, 66 gray. And like, even during the consult, um, told her about, okay, we've got wound care, you know, nearby and was really concerned about severe toxicity. But um, but yeah, I mean, her skin um, treatment was, you know, just amazing. Like use Q-tips with saline and everything. And and actually she only ended up with, you know, grade one toxicity the whole time. So that I really, you know, took a moment like during our chart rounds and kind of, you know, celebrated our staff and everyone who really supported that patient through. And um, I, I had just been so like terrified about the toxicity and then she ended up doing exceptionally well. So I think for me, it really showed that, okay, like, you know, things they don't always, you know, they're not always the worst case scenario. So, yeah.
4: Human. Um First, I uh, just want to add just one more brief mini challenge before I address that great win. Um, something that I did not think about, and part of this is maybe due to COVID, is that we are primarily a teams-based area, right? And um, you know, um, our uh, scheduler of radiation, um, she's amazing and a radiation therapist, but like she was remote at the time. And then my new patient coordinator, like I didn't meet people for like months in the beginning, just because we were still sort of in that transition period. And we still, I don't know how other centers are, but we still are in some ways. But something I didn't appreciate that when you get busy um, and I try to be like efficient work mode, I will type messages quickly. And I did not realize that by perhaps not knowing me or perhaps whatever, that you can read that message any way you want. And it's easy to appear as if you're like, oh, what is this dude's problem? Why is he being so, so curt with me? Or like, you know, not uh, not expressing uh, the gratitude as clearly, even though it's there. So um, I think that uh, something that I really also learned is to, uh, especially in the, I guess, part or part virtual world that many of us find ourselves in. Um, I haven't even met all of my referring colleagues yet. Um, you know, some um, is to uh, just uh, try to try to meet them. And I made an effort. So I have met most people that I speak to or were speaking to. And I think that that really went a long way with just having relations just be excellent all around. Um, a great win. Um, uh, that is a that's that's a great uh, question. I think that um, uh, Clinically, and this is going to sound odd after having done residency, it's fun being an attending and being like, yeah, radiation still works <laughs> when I'm an attending, right? I I treated that person in agony for bone pain and now they're not. And it's just, I've, I've gained enormous satisfaction out of that. Or, um, you know, the the first patient I ever treated a little over a year ago now, um, stage 3 lung, like NED. Um and, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but it's just like really it's really satisfying to, to feel as if once you're in attending, it just feels like it kind of counts a lot more. So so just uh, having being a lot more independent just has been, has been great. And then even more recently, um, I've really been enjoying education a lot more. Um, and I got to give a talk to a pretty big audience in the cancer center about basics of radiation oncology um, with pertinent examples. And. Think that 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 was excellent um, because you know, we we forget that understandably, just like we don't know everything about the ins and outs of surgery and surgeon, and I had to do a lot of reading this year. Um, people don't appreciate what we can or can't do, and unless you clearly um, explain it and then show um, show examples and help help people meet in the middle, um, it's hard to bridge that gap. So I I was very happy to receive good, good feedback on that, and I think um, as a result of some points I made um, in that talk, um, now some of my medonks will be like, oh, okay, so are you going to do more ablated of now or SBRT? And I just like love that that they are now using the words um, that that I, that I approach things at. So uh, that's that's been fun, um, and getting more involved in reg- resident
1: education has uh, has been a, a very very exciting uh, thing for me too. I think another one that I could talk about, it's more of a uh, personal kind of thing, but I think that, you know, another big adjustment for me was actually having just so much more time and flexibility in my schedule than I was ever used to, you know, so I think in residency, even when you're not on service, you have didactic schedule for now, you have in-service exams, you have, you know, whatever other, you know, things you have that are already scheduled for you, and even if you're time outside of work, you may be budgeting study time and things like that. And, you know, this is kind of the first time in life where, A, you can kind of control your work schedule a little bit. So, you know, like, oh, I don't have to take, you know, an entire day off just to go to my son's appointment, or I can even make it to, you know, my son's appointment or something like that. And I think just being able to enjoy the flexibility of your schedule and not, you know, taking advantage of that. Like, you know, the other thing is just to to remember that, you know, it's okay to, you know, just take a certain time and say I'm going to be out of the office at this time. You know, it's easy to feel like oh, I should just be here until six, seven p.m. or whatever time it is. Um, and you might need to some days, but days you don't need to get out of the office. You know, there's things you can do the next day. You don't have to finish contours that day. You don't have to, you know, review a plan that day. Maybe you can do it the next morning. And don't remember to you know build it back, like give back to yourself, so that you prevent burnout. Because that first year is a really easier to burn out between you know becoming. Uh, clinically busy, studying for boards eventually, um, other things you may have. So use all the time you have, use all your vacation time. You know, you probably were negotiating for it in your contract or whatever. Use all that vacation time. You know, when you're not on call, there's something that can go to the on-call doc that at least as long as it doesn't make you look like you're lazy or something, you know, try to try to see if, you know, if you're like out on vacation, you don't have to take every single call that comes in. Maybe there's some things you can text and say, hey, can you call the on-call doc? or you know take advantage so that you are maximizing all the benefits of being an attending so that when you're at you're in the office you can work hard and take advantage of that and then when you're off you can be as off as possible
0: yeah that's a that's a really good point about about taking that time for yourself i i read something yesterday it's um they they studied they're they're studying people with with burnout and they they talked to them about um, intentionally creating time just for themselves, not for family, not for work, be it 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day. And after the fact, they measured the perception of free time that the people had. And even when they added a new activity, because they were passionate about that activity, make it maybe it was like tennis lessons or um, spending time writing, they perceived that they had more free time in their life, even when they added an activity. And so when you create some ownership of your own time, um, there's a sense that you're not as, as trapped or as uh, limited um, by the time that you have. And I, I thought that was a really good point um, that a lot of our feelings of burnout or <clears throat> having being too busy are uh, perceptions rather than, than true. You know, you always hear this idea of like, I don't have enough time to work out. And it's like, well, we all have time for a 20 minute hit workout because we probably spent 20 minutes on social media or our phones throughout the day. And you, you could even break up that 20 minutes into like four or five minute segments. And you have time for these things. And so it's the intentionality of what you're saying, like what you guys are talking about, like it's your schedule now up to a point. Um, and you, you can block it off in ways that make you feel as productive and useful as possible. I think that makes us happier at work like this podcast, this Brings me such joy um, for my for my career, um, and I, I do block out time intentionally. In fact, I'm I'm a little bit late for a meeting right now, and I'm going to have to uh, have to have Anna take over as host. Um, but yeah, this is great. I, I think I'm learning. You know, hearing from you guys, I'm learning as well, and I I I feel like um, I feel like this this is really important to kind of think through these types of things. Um, but I'll I'll let Anna take over from here.
1: Yeah, And one tip or trick I, I'll just throw in there is the one thing that I always try to do is I always try to budget more time than something actually takes. So like, if you know, you can wrap up a consult in 30 or 45 minutes, I just budget an hour for it. Or if you, if you have a meeting that, you know, is going to take 20 minutes, just budget 30, 45 minutes for it, because you're always going to have things you need to catch up on offline review, treatment plans, catching up on notes, you know, uh, catching up, whatever it is. And, or even just like, Hey, I need to do five minutes of meditation every day. Or, you know, maybe you only need 20 minutes to eat lunch, take an hour long lunch and then figure out what you can do in that extra 20, 30 minutes. That's going to be rewarding for you. You know, for me, it's like, how can I get out of work at like 430 or five or whatever it is? And so I make my day as, you know, quick as possible so I can get out. But other people may have different ways of doing that. But, you know, adjust your schedule so you can build in time to catch up on those things, because in our field, there's no shortage of things to catch up on.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. And, um, you know, either budgeting kind of extra time for, you know, not necessarily thinking a task will go that long, or as I kind of have learned, it's interesting thinking about, you know, lessons uh, as an attending, but even from like college, where pretty much I was, you know, super involved and had like, you know, a ton of things like essentially stacked back to back, you know, looking at my Google calendar from then compared to, um, you know, med school definitely had like, you know, breaks in between things. And, and yeah, I think even just allowing time to prep or like to transition from one activity to another um, can, can make it feel like, you know, the workday isn't quite as, as hectic. And I think that's been one of the biggest changes for me going from residency to practice is things not being quite as, you know, back to back. But yeah, uh, interested to hear other perspectives too.
4: I like what uh, Simul was saying. Um, that uh, I want to read more about that too. That the more that you kind of insert, the more uh, free that you that you feel with your schedule. I'm uh, trying to uh, practice that a little bit more. Um, I just uh, I am in the middle of reading Atomic Habits right now. If uh, you all have read it, um, great book. And I think that that's also uh, helping me take uh, a little bit better habits towards a little bit of of effort
3: uh, can go a long way, which is controlling the schedule. Totally. And and I think, and this is sort of tangential to what we're all talking about, but I think in, in some ways, um, one key to a successful sort of professional life is just figuring out like what, what things you want out of your personal life. Because I think, um, during training we all kind of just knew that like there were certain things we had to do to kind of get to the finish line and there were certain parts of our personal life that may have to to be deferred um but now as a lot of us have families and kind of other um uh, obligations outside of work i think i think like in, in some ways kind of thinking about those first and then working backwards. So to Avinash's point, like, you know, if you, if you know that you want to be a home to, to do something with your kids or to um, to make it to a, a game or, or whatever event, then you sort of have to work backwards and then say, okay, I'm, I need to be out by this time, but I'm willing to work through lunch. I'm willing to kind of come as early as it takes. And if you can show your you know, team, your employer, everyone else around that like, you know, you're on your game, but you just need these aspects of your personal life to be respected. Um, I, I found that folks are, are relatively reasonable about, you know, allowing that flexibility.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those are all, you know, really great points. Um, definitely that Atomic Habits, I've seen that book around, but definitely <laughs> that's next on my list to check out. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, really gets to this idea of like setting healthy boundaries. And of course, like being in training versus being in attending, there's a big difference in the ability to create those. But but I do think it's so important to, you know, work towards like a work-life balance or work-life, you know, integration, I think the work-life balance might be, you know, a bit of a myth, but, um, but yeah, I think kind of those healthy boundaries and yet at the same time, um, Neil P, as you mentioned, you know, really um, showing your team that you're, you're present, you know, you're there and you're on top of your game and, and really, you know, actively contributing to the team, but yet might have, you know, certain things that, that are, you know, a priority. Um, But yeah, I guess uh, interested in, you know, continuing that uh, topic, maybe Avinash, if you wanted to touch more on that.
1: Yeah, I have something kind of similar. Uh, I think like in terms of at work too, I think uh, a lot of us are kind of trained in residency to just be yes, yes, men or yes, women, you know, like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that research. I'll do that case report that'll be published in the third tier journal with that $3,000 open access fee, you know, uh, yes, I'll go on that committee and be the assistant assistant head and, you know, do all the work, but have no nothing to show for it. And so, You know, I think a big part is that even when you're at work to also uh, definitely say yes to things like new patients, new consults, but also learn to say no, you know, there are lots of committees, research opportunities, especially things that are just open ended and there's not any proven reward to it. Just say no, you know, you are an attending, you are, you can be independent. It's okay to say no to things because especially if you don't know what, if there's going to be a proven benefit to you, it's okay to be selfish because You know, the last thing you'd want is to start a research project or start, you know, okay, now you're in charge of this tumor board or this committee. And now all of a sudden you're like, you know, in March or April studying for oral boards and you have to like submit a publication on a deadline or you have, you know, to run this thing the the day before you take oral boards, whatever it is, that's just one example. But there's going to be lots of things that, um, you know, won't add anything besides the line on your CV and are only going to be a drain on your time and uh, resiliency. And learning to say no is one of the hardest things because it's really easy for us to just say yes to everything and then wonder why we have 12 hours of work crammed into our eight-hour schedule. That's great advice, by the way. I need to uh, take
4: that perhaps a little bit more. But uh, yeah, the first six months that I think partially contributed was I uh, said yes to everything. Oh, uh, this uh, colleague needs coverage. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Like, And then you have double the OTVs. Yeah, I'll, I'll always be the one one here or you know, now before I knew it, I ended up on like five committees, and then now my email inbox is is getting larger and larger. So I'm trying to to learn some of these habits now. Um, you know, I really do wonder sometimes uh, about perhaps uh, some more senior folks in our field that are like chairs uh, and NRG and regional manager and like 50 titles. I, I do wonder how they do it because even now I'm feeling like I'm needing to do dedicated email response time um, just from from joining a
3: lot of stuff. One one uh habit that um was passed down. Um Dr. Haas Kogan uh was a visiting professor for us, like probably in our PGI two or PGI three years. It's been a while. But you know, she was kind of talking about like the the things that have been helpful for her. And one thing that really stuck with me is she was saying that like you know, you, you can find remarkable amounts of productivity, even in those like five or 10 minute pockets, like maybe you're in a cab, maybe you're kind of going from one thing to another, um, uh, or like on a flight or wherever. And so just finding sort of creative ways to knock out tasks, um, in relatively short periods of time, because I I know for me, for example, like there are tons of emails to, to get back to people on. And, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm like you know walking from one place to another, it's relatively easy to just quickly respond. You know, with with the uh, with your with your headphones and kind of dictating whatever you want to say. So small things like that, I think, go a long way. And and yeah, I think your advice, Avinash, about being able to say no is, is spot on. I think once you find the the comfort and like the the type of role that that you want, and kind of what type of doctor and what type of um, professional you want to be, then I think it gives you the confidence to say, like, this is what I am going to prioritize, and this is what, you know, might be less important, Um, even if not everyone is, like, super thrilled about it in the beginning.
1: The other thing on a clinical side that I felt was I think all of us in residency become amazing at contouring, right? Like, we're, like, amazing at contouring. We can contour anything. The thing that I think, maybe some big, bigger programs that are better at it, but, um, you know, treatment plan review, offline review, comparing a good plan, medium plan, and an awesome plan, you know, that is like the hardest part of what we do, honestly. Like I think, you know, in a couple five, ten years we'll have AI that's gonna contour better than us, right? Like every one of those research studies about AI contours, it's always like, Oh, it's the physicians liked it better than their own contours or whatever. But at the end of the day, like the plan that gets delivered and is reproducible and is the best for everyone involved, from you all the way to the Symmetry physics and therapists is going to be the most important thing. So any opportunity you have, you know, go to the console, spend some time with a the therapist. What is a what does a breath hold look like? Is that reproducible? You know, um, what does a non coplanar arc look like? Does that add on five to ten minutes of treatment time? You know, go to your physics team and say, okay, like you know, if I do this, is it going to be reproducible? Like, is your QA tools accurate? You know. Um, You know, and then just spending time with all these people who actually do a lot of the hard work in heavy lifting is going to, you know, have dividends because a lot of times in residency, all you're kind of doing is tailing your attending and your contouring and maybe getting some feedback on your contours. You're besides, and then, you know, you're in chart rounds and then you're zoned out until you have to present a patient. So you're ignoring all the good advice that other (laughs) seasoned attendings are giving you about how you should change your plan or change your case. And the other thing is uh, never be hesitant to replan a patient. If you ever second guess yourself, it's okay. You know, it's okay if, you know, you have a case and it's you're like, ah, you know, I really wish I had done this. Just go back, replan the patient, just talk to them in OTV and say, "Hey, I'm sorry, you know, I I had a change of heart or I thought about this more and I want to do this." I found that more often than not the patients are often on your side and will appreciate your humility more than just saying, "Hey, you know, I'm just going to I already planned it this way. It's easier to just stick it out." And so it's always okay to rethink yourself. That's one of the best things in our field is that it's not like you're in surgery and you're going to like, oh, I'm going to unligate that artery. I'm going to undo that cut. Well, we can't do it, but here we can. And so, you know, use that wiggle room to your advantage because it, especially if it's going to benefit the patient, just do it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's such great advice, especially thinking about, you know, kind of the end, you know, delivery um, aspect of what we do. You know, I think some of the most like educational time that I spent even towards the end of residency were. You know, going and seeing, okay, like how do you know how do changes affect you know like breast toxicity, or you know, actually going to the machine and and seeing how that works. Um, and yeah, I think um, communication is key in terms of you know doing a replan you know, especially, you know, kind of explaining to patients that, you know, it's going to be safer and more reproducible and really in their best interest. I think that really goes a long way in establishing that connection with them. And, and yeah, ultimately that's the goal, um, delivering, you know, high quality, safe care for everyone. Uh, Neil P., did you have some thoughts? And then Neil Newman.
3: Uh, yeah, I I whole wholeheartedly agree with, with that sentiment. Um, and it, it's it's so funny because uh, it's not very obvious. You know, you you spend a lot of time in your office, you spend a lot of time in the clinic room, and then, you know, occasionally at the machine for SBRTs and things like that. But it's actually like all of the extra time in the day that you could be, you know, sitting in, at your computer in the office where it's actually like super valuable, exactly as I've said, To uh, just learn from, from the dosimetrists. Um, I think one of the most rewarding things kind of over the last year was kind of seeing how they plan and then kind of like helping out and kind of running my own plans kind of alongside them. And And I learned so much from them. And then you're able to have a conversation that just doesn't take place. If you're not able to at least understand the language to begin with. And I think so many organic ideas come out from people being in the same place. So if you're not like just hanging out with a therapist that typically do SIM understanding kind of how the devices are, are are molded and kind of hanging out with the dosimetrist, there's so much learning about our own field that you may not be super obvious. and, And so many conversations about process improvement that just don't happen. So I think, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with that point. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm of course going to echo it. Um,
4: I wonder now, you know, the, given for us, right. Uh, I always say that we did 70% of our residency, you know, BC, uh, before Corona, but, um, you know, uh, uh one of the, the best, um, uh, things that I used to love was, um, there was a computer in, in our dosi room and that was, I would camp out there and I would, uh, learned so much. And then I since I'm hanging out, I'd pass it, or once it was get attending approved or whatever, you know, then I would sit and look at it with the dosimetrist. Um and um, you know, however however you can as a resident, um, to spend time with a therapist and dosimetrist is so helpful. Um, there's been cases um that lessons I learned back then still have, still helped me or resonate with me. Um and also what's nice about that, um, kind of going from the resident to attending transition, um is uh y- you will have uh assuming it's at your home place so you know you you can reach out to those folks right because it's those symmetries are just like physicians right different symmetries me you want to um have a different thought on how to do things so i i keep in touch with the ones that i worked with in residency and it's a uh, very very uh great to, to compare and contrast and to keep improving my knowledge um and that has uh, that's helped me a lot and then um I guess, Secondly, I, I again I thought Avinash um, brought up a, a great point, which is like uh, to be very clear with your intentions with your patient and to be very honest. Um, when I do mid abdomen, I do end up rescanning a lot. But um, even with any diagnostic workup, because some we all know that some patients come in and they're like, I need to start right away. And then sometimes you have to explain, hey, like I know that um, you know that uh, look, I, I need to do the ebus and it may take uh, me another week to get this, but in, but this is so critical because. You know if i'm going to treat you I, I need to do it right um and i need to be cautious because i'm giving you a customized individual radiation plan um and, and it needs to be precise um so um or with dosimetry even you know if you send them back a plan uh once in a while of course if they've worked hard they may be like oh no what, what what's this guy doing and sometimes uh you know not not too often but sometimes i'm like hey i'm sorry i'm asking for a third run like this is just, this is why I'm doing it. Um, this is really what I'm trying to think about. And they appreciate that too. So with team members and patients, um, just being very clear where you're coming from, I think um, can lead to a lot of respect um, and, and understanding. And then then they, they, then they will start opening up to you. So it becomes kind of a two-way street.
2: Yeah, I think those are great points. And I think really a good way to build trust, you know, with patients as well as with other team members, um, just really having that open dialogue. Uh, is so important. Um, and I think kind of covers those three A's as well. Um, so yeah, I guess we're getting kind of close to the end of time. Um, maybe if we could just go around and kind of do kind of final words of advice, like thing, either things you wish you, you know, would have known before, you know, starting out being intending, or, um, you know, maybe just, uh, yeah, parting words of wisdom. <laughs> um, maybe Avinash can start with you.
1: Yeah, I would say that, you know, I think, Clinically speaking, I would not worry as you're graduating, you're, you have a good solid fundamental clinical basis when you've graduated. I'd say, remember to celebrate yourself, enjoy all the new flexibility in your time, probably more vacation time than you've ever had, more time with your significant other or family than you've ever had. Enjoy that. And then when you're at work, remember that it's balancing both, I feel like clinical, the, the clinical side of it is only half of it. The other half is, you know, like we said, team-based, everyone else you're interacting with. And just maximizing all your relationships there, whether it's within RADONC or within oncology or whoever it is. And don't be afraid to spread your wings, but also realize that, you know, the wind might be different than the wind you're used to. So the institution you're at or the practice patterns might be a little different and be confident in yourself to be able to bring up new things or new, you know, uh, regimens that you're familiar with, but also be sensitive to patients or different Things that are there at the institution, and try to find the balance of both. I think honestly, it takes at least six months before you really feel confident in balancing both what you like to do and what actually fits in with the institution. So be patient with yourself, give yourself time. Don't be too hard on yourself. Enjoy your flexibility.
3: Yeah, that's that's great advice. I think um, you know for me, even as you think about that, like first year, um, and this is just kind of pointed out, but you'll you'll see kind of. How different the first three months look like than months three through six, six through nine, nine through twelve, and and so just understanding that like everyone goes through this sort of process, that you're not alone. That like every, as Avinash mentioned, PGY six that's ever graduated, you know, residency and and become an independent practitioner has kind of gone through this. I think that's that's a reassuring thing because you know it, it's easy for us to kind of look at attendings are 20 years out, they've been doing this forever, and and think, you maybe we're not as confident as they are like in our first couple of months. But um but just knowing that it's a normal for you to feel a little bit unsure about things. Um, and that's totally fine for all the reasons that we talked about. Um, and that you're very soon going to reach an inflection point, you know, in a few months, um, within a year, you know, you're gonna be uh, at a whole different level of confidence and, than you're at right now, I think is nice because it it definitely makes the light at the end of the tunnel much closer than it otherwise um would feel like. So um that would be that be my piece.
4: Yeah, um great points. Um yeah be kind to yourself, be open, be honest. Um and uh and definitely uh you know
0: uh
4: yeah take take t- celebrate yourself as well. Celebrate any type of victory. Um what I noticed more as an attending, at times is I, I really, really feel much more. You you will feel more connected to your patients than you ever have as a resident. Um, you know, and then of course you experience our relationship as a med student and a resident. But once you're once they are yours, you know, it's it's important. Um, and it uh, it's a uh, it's very sad. You know, we see some sick people when they pass away, and you really care for them and their family. Um, but try to celebrate that um, you know that you maybe you took them out of pain and you helped their quality of life, or that you provided compassionate care, or you placed an appropriate referral to rehab or diet, or you did something something uh, good for them along the way. Um, that's uh that's something that I've uh, that I've just grown to uh, to appreciate. That there's always some positivity um, in every uh, scenario, um, and your, your patients and their families and everyone will really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I think all of that, um, you know, all of these are really great insights. And I would just add that, um, you know, just to be patient, that, you know, it takes time to learn a new system. And um, kind of, as I think Neil P. mentioned, you know, sometimes it can be very eager to, you know, create lots of changes. But I think, you know, be patient, take that time, you know, that is necessary to build trust and um, and always kind of keep, you know, the, the best care of the patient at the forefront. And it's okay not to know everything, you know, from the get-go. But, to know, where to look, you know, who to ask, um, all of this contributes to delivering excellent care. Um, so, yeah, I guess with that, I uh, just want to thank our guests uh, for, you know, the excellent conversation and um, hope this um, provides some really great insights to all of our graduating PGY-5s, but really appreciate um, all of you guys, uh, the Niels for uh, joining us for the episode today.
1: Thanks for having thank us. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank thanks. You. Take care. Bye.